0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. I'm Dr. Jaime G. Raygoza, a life coach, psychologist, and your host. Join me on a journey to inspire and transform ordinary lives into something special. Here, we celebrate the unicorns, those who choose not to follow the ordinary conventional path, but rather chase after their dreams and choose the path less taken, making them truly unique. Together, we'll explore powerful life coaching techniques and hear from special guests who embody the spirit of unicorns in their own way. What are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Finding the Unicorn in You. Today, I have the owner and founder of The Knowledge Gap Company, where they help business owners and high-ticket-sell people optimize their revenue. He's the author of The Problem with Potential, How to Stop Overthinking and Get Out of Your Own Way. I'm very excited to have him on here. So without further ado, welcome, Joseph Ignatz.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that.
0: Of course. Uh, Welcome on. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to get into into all of this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Because if you listen to this, you probably don't know who I am yet. So let me tell you a little bit. I grew up in Johnson City, t- excuse me, John- Tennessee. Um, I was born in Scotland, lived in Iowa, Wisconsin before that. So from about seven onward, grew up in a small little town in the Wagon Wheel Song, Darius Rucker, if you know what I'm talking about, Johnson City, Tennessee. Grew up there, went to, grew up in a family of about six kids. We had five boys and a girl, and it was just crazy. We got homeschooled for a little bit. We were soccer stars, whatever. Just a very dynamic, competitive, almost all boys type family. We had one girl. And then I ended up going to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. When I was 18, moved out of the house. I, as technically, I just turned 18. And then I studied accounting finance. When I went, went to college, I felt like I had wasted some time in high school. I basically did soccer and joined some clubs. I went to church and things like that, but I I didn't really put myself out there. And I remember senior year, putting myself out there and doing some stuff with a club. Actually, it was a club called Future Farmers of America. I don't know if they have that out there in California. Yeah, do they? (laughs) But anyway, goofy sounding club, never was really super into that type stuff. But anyway, but it was fun. I enjoyed the community. And so then when I went to college, wanted to uh, not miss out on any opportunities. And I remember going through and just basically interviewing for everything I could do leadership wise and internships and that led me to meeting a recruiter for a door-to-door sales internship called Southwestern. I went and did that for seven years, um, which is pretty wild. So uh, 80 hours a week, straight commission door-to-door sales, sold books, apps, websites, some educational stuff all over the country, Oklahoma, Texas, Georgia, Virginia, yeah, a bunch of times. So I did that, Was a, ended up doing really well, was the number two salesperson of all time. I made $100,000 just in college, just in a few summers, 36 weeks of working. And then I ended up being a top 0.1% salesperson of all time at the company, running a 35-person sales organization, being one of the second youngest district sales managers of all time. So that was pretty wild. So I had people in Michigan and Tennessee. After that, I ended up, I got married a couple of years ago. So my wife and I wanted to be a little more local. So we were traveling a lot with that job. So I decided to start an online fitness company. And then we sold personal fitness coaching through Instagram messaging, which was pretty wild. And then I started a YouTube channel podcast around that time. And my realtor said, hey, can you teach me how to do that? Ended up getting me into consulting and coaching. It turned out that I could look at businesses and know what's wrong and know how to fix them and know what's limiting them to scale. Um, so taught her how to do a podcast and, and leverage her time with content marketing. And then that led to a bunch of keynotes and workshops with much real estate offices here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I led about 19 clients I worked with in the first few months. And now we're just now getting to 12 months of business. We've worked with over 35 different businesses, business owners, entrepreneurs. Help them grow their sales. Help them with content marketing. Help them leverage time with YouTube and systems, and just in general grow their business. That's where we're at now. I guess that's a hopefully not too long of a <laughs> long-winded introduction there. Not at all. <laughs> I just wrote this book called Problem with Potential, which also which took about 22 months, and it's right here, look on the screen. <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: what i first of all it's very impressive you were definitely being yourself being I mean, really going against the grain and really trying to achieve at a young age so kudos
1: to you at everything you've accomplished thus far thank you i'm i'm a a really high 3 on the enneagram if you know what i'm talking about being an achiever it's just that's how i communicate it's just like, here's my achievements these are the things that my brain seems to enjoy so
0: now that's amazing so you went you definitely have a big background in business and how to like market and really put yourself out there. So, has that always been a niche of yours? Has that always come naturally to you? Or did you go through some training, some self doubt that kind of went in there before you became the person you are today? Oh, for sure.
1: The short answer is yes. But it all probably does go back to being in like sixth or seventh grade and selling the cookie dough door to door. You ever do that? You know what I'm talking about? You get the chocolate bars. Are you oh, trying to win? Oh, yeah. PTO fundraiser bounce house castle. You know? <laughs> I remember going around my neighborhood and just saying like, whatever, to do whatever I could to show people these cookie dough things. And all the nice parents saying yes was always really encouraging. But yeah, man. So when I first started sales, what happens at Southwestern is you go to a sales training. It's incredible. One of the best sales trainings you could ever go to, especially as a person. I, I would even say like people, I, clients I, I work with would absolutely transform their business by going to this sales training. But it's basically for college students to help them pay for school. That's how it started to helping young people reach their goals in life. And so you go to this big sales training, and it's it's literally, it really is like boot camp, but for sales. And you just got to memorize this thing. And there's all these objections because sales is messy, and it's not perfect all the time. I remember going to that and then getting out there my first couple of weeks selling books in a little town called Crum, Texas, middle of nowhere near closest big city would be denton if you don't know where denton is it's near dallas fort worth which is also like as big as a state so good luck finding that on a map and i remember the first two weeks i sold less than pretty much everyone in my group i think i I think almost everybody but again i never actually looked at everybody's statistics or whatever but i was struggling i had customers i was working hard but that didn't work out super great i believe it was my second week too that and this is in my book in the first chapter i'm detailing this experience but I remember in the country, I used to work in the country, not just like city areas, because country folks are really nice people. And I remember pulling up to somebody's driveway. It was a, a double wide trailer, which is great people who want their kids to have a great education. And I would pull in, I'd knock, and then I went to my car and I had a manager following me. His name was Zach. And I'm pulling out of this driveway, again, not selling a lot, not making a ton of money. 18 years old, just finished my freshman year of college, convinced my dad to buy me this 2007 purple Ford Fusion so I could drive it around for the summer. But I guaranteed him I would pay him back for the car by the end of it because I was going to make money. And I tried to impress my leader and I pull out as fast as I could. You ever like whip a car out? You know what I'm talking about? So that's what I did. And there was a green cattle fence on both sides of the driveway. (laughs) And I whip it and slide and crush the whole side of my car. I scrape the side of my car, big dent. And all I can think is pure anger. And I hear this pssst, the air just coming right out of the tire. So I pull forward as quick as I can while there's still some air in that tire. And then the, the car falls. And back at that time, the frustration was my world is ending. And I think that's so interesting. And I think something we should chat about. But it's so funny how I thought my world was ending at that moment just because of a car breakdown. <laughs> how you progressed. But um, I still uh-huh. think that throws people off today, of course, too. But the world was ending. My manager, Zach, was, got out of the car, looked at it. He said, do you know how to change a tire? And I said, no idea. I <laughs> never changed a tire. He like, do you got like a tire iron and a jack? And I go look in my trunk and I don't have any of that. <laughs> I think I had a tire iron, like a little tiny one that was like hard to spin. But no jack. He said, hey, no worries. He goes and knocks on this door and hey, we got stuck in your driveway. Not five minutes earlier, I had knocked and no one answered. And this person yells back, oh, there's a jack in the garage. They don't come out, but they, we can use their jack, and we, we jack it up and get out, put our little donut on, and, you know, it's 90 degrees out early June in Dallas, Texas, right? Sweating our faces off. And he's yelling, let's just keep going. I was like, okay. Um, I kept going. I'm just so frustrated. And uh, it turns out when you're frustrated, people don't spend time with you. And so... <laughs> All those interactions have been wiped from my memory at this point, and, but I do know I sold nothing, got no presentations, and I was just sweaty for the next few hours. Around 12, 12.30 comes around, my manager's got to go follow and work with another rookie salesperson, and so we we're driving back uh, 10 minutes to this church that he parked his car at, and I'm just you know fuming. You can just see it on my face when you just carry the anger. And, uh, he just basically said, let me tell you a story really quick. He said, my, he said his best week ever, I'm like, all right, you're telling me about your best week ever. This is the worst day of my life or whatever. And so he he's telling me this story. He says my best week ever. I remember popping my knee on a Tuesday or Wednesday of the week. And then it started to swell. I was in a lot of pain by Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I wanted to have the best week of my summer though. So I just threw my leg up on a chair every time I was in to let it drain. And I just kept going and I just Kept going and met a lot of cool people who were interested and bought my books. And he so said, by the end of the week, uh, he had made over five or $6,000 in just five or six days um, selling books. And it was amazing. So Sunday mornings, my knee hurts pretty bad. So I guess I'll go to the hospital. He goes to the hospital and it turns out he tore his MCL on Monday or Tuesday. And so he had his best week ever on a torn MCL and he just says, hey, you hurt? No, it puts it in perspective, right? I think perspective is a great thing that we could talk about today. So no, I was fine. And he said, life's 10% what happens. It's 90% how you react. You can't control your circumstances. You can't control the cards you were dealt. What you can control is how you react and what you're going to do. And whenever something bad happens, you have a choice of letting it defeat you and then never remembering it, never telling anyone about it the rest of your life or You can go and decide to make a really good story that you'll tell your grandkids and the choice is up to you. He gets out of the car. I got to go make a good story. So I get out there and I'm working. I work for the next nine hours straight. And for the first eight and a half, I have zero sales, no sales at all. But the last two houses at 8.30 and 9 o'clock, it's pitch black by the time I left the last house. I made a couple little sales. Really nice Hispanic family eating mac and cheese with their little baby. And they bought some little baby books for their little one and then next door had a middle school and they bought some like applications or whatever for learning for the summer. And that itself of just getting so frustrated revealed to me just how I cared way too much about results and needed to just go make a good story and just have fun with people. For example, like that whole first summer selling, I used to be such a results focused person. I am still a results focused person actually, (laughs) Um, that it, it bothers me to no end sometimes how results and I've always got to work on having fun. But if I cared too much about results, I, in business, in sales, in, in school, whatever. It can really be a thief of joy, this perfectionism sort of habit. You could be having a great week, but it's not perfect and you still be upset. <laughs> and so I had to do these little gimmicks. I had to do these goofy things. I think there was a week where I would knock on, every morning, just, I did this for weeks, I would have a little carrot in my bag and I would take it to the door the first two hours of the day. And I kid you not, I would knock on the door and I would smile and I would, when they opened, I was back away. There's some sales psychology there. And I would take a bite and say, hey, what's up, doc? Like books, Buddy. And they would smile and they would laugh and they would let me in. Not every time, but a lot of the times. And I think a lot of people, when I said that, I did a social media post on it when I was uh, launching the book and just how being funny and enjoying, it's all perspective. And people, there were comments like, people were like, this is so weird. How did this work? And I think it's just interesting to break out of the mold of taking yourself too seriously, and we assume people are going to judge us somehow. But in fact, it's very refreshing for people to have fun. And, and the mantra of many southwestern salespeople was, "Be funny, make money. If you can make people laugh, they want to spend time with you. And if they want to spend, if they end up spending time with you, they'll probably figure out that you're a cool person. And if they have, if they, if they value education, they'll probably invest. And that's probably most families." And so the key wasn't how do you be the best salesperson at the door. The key was how can you be the best person at the door? And how do you sometimes the focus was just how do I make people smile? So I think that in general, like there are all those moments, I could go through so many more of those, but I think that in itself, when you this is the main concept of the overarching theme of my book is this idea that when you focus on making others better, helping others, in this case, making them laugh is. That's not a. That's not a personal. Oh, I'm just gonna make you laugh for me. It's, no, it's I want you to be happy. And when you focus on how do I help as many people as possible, like everything becomes a lot easier. Yeah. You know?
0: No. Yeah. And there's so many points I want to dissect in
1: what you just said.
0: <laughs> I but can was- model on. I can <laughs> model.
1: On. You just want me to talk, man. I I can model on.
0: <laughs> so the one that stood out for me the most was the fact that you said that at that moment in time when the whole incident was happening, it's your world was ending. And I feel that sometimes a lot of us, when we were younger, and even now in today's age, we still feel like that when something doesn't go our way, or we had something that we were really excited, really motivated about that. And it just does not go the way we we planned or doesn't happen at all. We feel like that's it. It's the end of the world. I'm like, what's the point of continuing in this path? It didn't work out. But like you said, it's all about learning from where mistakes learning from the story and continuing the story that's just the beginning of the narrative you're barely got to like the the middle the, the cliffhanger of the story you have to continue going to find an end result and i think a lot of us get hung up when that one problem happens that we forget to continue that's not the end of the story it's just the beginning so i really love that you said that
1: yeah no thanks and- And I'll be real transparent here too about this thing. This has happened to me last week. It's not going away. Like we have these, the the reason the book's called The Problem with Potential is because we have these problems and they don't go away. They have the potential to hold you back and you've got to fight them all the time. And so literally when I launched this book, we did a 35-day marketing campaign and I did, I don't know how many interviews and creation of these things, whatever. And we end up getting to the day and we end up, we have a good showing in the in-person events where people buy some stuff. But we end up having literally in the first, I think it's been seven or eight days at this point, we've had nine people order the thing on Amazon and that took 23 months of work and you're like, oh my gosh. not And I'm not going to, I don't think that makes me stupid or dumb or make the book not good. I think the book's amazing. I, I, people who have read it says it's awesome. It's already got reviews, like it's going well. It just came down to, ah, like, oh, and then all of the internal struggles are like, man, do I suck as an author? All these inner thoughts that are attacking you. Then you're so like annoyed. You're like, oh. All of that for nothing. And you, the me monster comes out. I had a case of the me monster. That's in the, we got a me. There's a chat. There's a little chapter in the book called talks about the me monster. And it all became about me. And the whole point of writing the book was I wanted to change some people's lives. And at the end of the day, everything's not instant gratification like we think it is. And although we sold nine, whatever, there'll be people who buy the book. I'm sure like I have more than nine friends, I think. And people will eventually buy stuff. It's the, it's not about that. It's really about helping people. but. I think our focus can easily shift, right? The focus goes from how do I, instead of how do I help this person in front of me, it goes to how do I, me, me and my personal satisfaction. And yeah, I think that solves everything to do with the me monster and getting frustrated and your world ending. It's like, there's more to life than just your instant gratification, right?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. And there's a saying that it's not the smartest or most talented person that gets recognized and gets famous and gets rich. It's the one that's most consistent. So you can yeah. be the smartest person out there. You can put the best book out there. But if you're not consistent and show up every single day and put yourself out there, it's never going to Nobody's going to know about it. So you just have to keep going every single day. Check in the failures, learn, repeat, adjust. And until you get to the successes that you want, like when you're going door to door sales. So I think it's I think that's one way of shutting down the me monsters is just by showing up every single day. But I really like that concept.
1: <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree. Good. Yeah. The meme I just think it's a little funny. You get this thing on your shoulder called the Meme Monster like whispering in your ear, trying to plan your demise, right? I think I technically call that the cynic within, but that's a that's an interesting concept to delve into. But yeah, things get better if you just keep going. Things get better if you keep going. It only sucks when you stop.
0: Yes. And I think that's when you truly fail, because you gave up. So you can never fail if you keep trying, because it's just it's like training for the long run, for the long run. It's not it's the small little wins and small little failures that ends up making the biggest success in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, hence why we're doing, I'm doing a podcast that will air long after the first week of the book with nine sales. It's, you're just going to write the book and not try to help people with it? <laughs> what? You're just going to be so upset by the launch that you're just going to completely collapse, you know, a black hole or something like that, I don't know. You've got to keep going. Although I do have a hot take here. You want to hear a hot take? Yeah, go for it. There's a really good book. If you're really into growth, success, and all that fun stuff, which I think everybody here is, um, is called "The Dip" by Seth. How do you say it? Godine? Godin. I think I don't know. I always say it wrong. Is it Godin?
0: Uh, I think so. I'm not sure. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. well, yeah, we'll go with that. But anyway, it was called "The Dip," and it actually talks about quitting. And but it talks about quitting strategically. And I actually think this is one of my favorite concepts that has allowed me to be comfortable to go start my own business and be an entrepreneur, for example. I'm not saying everybody should. If you want to and you have the aptitude, the excitement for it, it takes a lot of work and it's hard and you you have to go through a lot about what we're talking here. But it talks about identifying essentially the curves that you're on the trajectories, right? And I think people don't do this enough. I think people get on the hamster wheel on the go. And I do think that saying to jump off the hamster wheel is always wrong, is incorrect. I think sometimes you need to jump off the hamster wheel and decide, do I want to be on this hamster wheel? Or do I want to be somewhere else? I talk about this a lot with my clients. If you, there's a couple ways to look I at mean, it. One's, okay, this hamster, I keep running on this hamster wheel. Can I improve the hamster wheel? That's like improving what you're doing. It's like developing better systems, right? Like in, investing in hiring a new person. That's like your business. But otherwise, it's, is this the hamster wheel I want to be on? Is, okay, am I in what we call a cul-de-sac? cul de sac from the book The Dip. A cul-de-sac's where you're just going to be doing the same thing over and 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 over. And it's never really going to change. If you're there, you need, to find a new, you need to find a new hamster wheel, a new curve, as it is in the dip. And that's really what you should be thinking about. If you are, then it's okay to jump over and utilize those skills in another place and find somewhere that's going to give you a more upward trajectory. And in fact, the best places to spend your time are in places that have intense dips that most people quit. If you can be in the 97% of people or the 99% of people, right, who do something, you're not that impressive. But if you can be in the 1% of people, which is why one of the reasons I wrote this book is again for achievement, really is to help people. My achievement brain, this is what drives me, so I really try to throw that in there. But only 1% of people who ever start a book, finish it. And if you can do that, you're in a different level. And in fact, those are the best places to be because most people can't, therefore they would hire you, for example, or look to you for guidance in those ways. So figure out if you're on the right dip, because otherwise not quitting only makes sense. If it's the right dip, Sometimes yeah. starting is better because people start too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think and I don't it's mean the right place to start. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I wouldn't say that's completely quitting either. It's not that you're strategic. Yes, it's a tr- strategic quitting, or, but more so of an adaptation and changing. It's like constantly yeah. evaluating is the path that I'm going the right path. And it's okay to, in this easy analogy, put your eggs in different baskets and seeing which one is more fruitful. And from there, giving up the baskets that didn't really provide as much and then focusing on the ones that did. And it's not that you're giving up on them. It's just you're finding out what's best works for you. And what works with one person may not work for you specifically. So finding out what's the best style, what's the best method of being able to reach your goal and hit success that you want to hit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. I think people think, though, if they switch after so many years that it's bad. Yeah. that's what I'm saying, I'm saying that, no, it's okay. like it's actually okay to do something for five years, be the best, hit a cul-de-sac and say, I'm gonna go somewhere else that's gonna allow me the trajectory that I want. Now, again, if you're happy with the cul-de-sac, like I'm not here to judge your life or say what you should or shouldn't do. I'm just telling you that, hey, that's where you might be. And if you're you're happy, I just think most of us aren't happy in a cul-de-sac. I think we get to a point of boredom, repetition, where it's like, ah, where's this going? Is this really, who who, who just wakes up and they're like, I wanna do the same thing every day and have no other potential to do anything cool. And I think most of us would like not to do that. In fact, the statistics, this is in my book. Here's a little stats, little thing for you. 80% of people, statistically, according to a bunch of surveys online, don't like their job. And what's really interesting is that we spend 33% of our life doing a job and 33% of our life sleeping. That leaves 33% of our life doing things that we do enjoy. <laughs> but. I would say there's probably a lot of people still don't do things they enjoy. And the idea is that just, why would you spend your time doing things you don't enjoy if you can create or find something better? But I think that goes into a purpose problem, the problem of figuring out what is your purpose. And there's a lot of power once you figure out what direction you actually want to go. Because then you'll climb any mountain, right? You'll go through any challenge.
0: Yes, and that's exactly what I help people do is finding out Those people that get to that place where they're like, I don't, I've been doing the same thing for the past 10 years and I'm bored and I have, I feel like I lost myself. And you do end up losing yourself after a while because you're doing the same mundane things over and over again due to habit. And you haven't tried new things. You haven't stimulated your brain to grow. And our minds are consistently needed to be stimulated in us for to be happy to hit the next level. And it doesn't mean that you have to open up your own business. It doesn't mean that you have to publish a book. But try something new and find a passion project that you're that you really want to develop in. So I'm really impressed by you by owning your own business, by publishing a book, by even coming on to a podcast and speaking about these things and sharing your knowledge. Cause like you said, there's very little people that actually end up doing that. So you should be very proud of yourself and you should and you're a big role model for others listening. So what was your drive to want to accomplish all of this?
1: Yeah, boy, drive. There's a lot of things that drive me. But at the core of everything, my values are like God, family, people, pretty much how it goes. So for me, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been saved since I was about seven. So I frankly Jesus, basically, his example and who he is. I just want to help people. He's basically, in the Bible, talks about love God, love people. And I try to keep it pretty simple like that. So at the end of the day, I just want to give it my all. If I'm here a hundred years, I just don't want to look back and say, I didn't do my best. I'm a big believer there's a, a study at the, the front of the book. It's chapter two, why we need you to reach your potential. And there's this really good study by UNICEF.org, I believe. And they look at the statistical analysis that comes with birth rates and all these different things and access to education and resources. And there's this really good concept I learned on a mission trip in Nicaragua called the Victorian Lottery. I think I said the Victorian. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, no, no, the ovarian. I could not think of the word off the top of my head. I was like searching for it. Victorian's wrong. It's the ovarian lottery. You can cut that out or leave it in. The ovarian lottery. Ovaries. There you go. The ovarian lottery. And so the idea goes like this. Essentially, there's 8 billion people. So there's 8 billion lottery tickets, right, in the world. Because you don't get to pick if you win the lottery's complete chance. And let's say just say at the top of the list, you've got, and we're just going to go based on financial hierarchy because money doesn't absolutely cause happiness factors a trend that the wealthier you are, the less happy (laughs) somewhat you become statistically. So anyway, it's just, but just financially, because it's a way to quantify access to opportunity, we'll just say, at least at the very beginning of life, right? Does that mean, so, okay. So Bill Gates, Elon Musk, whatever, you put those guys at the top. And if you're their kid and you have the Musk last name or the whatever last name, it gives you... Gravitas, we'll say, right? You have connections. Oh, you're Elon Musk's son. You're Bill Gates' son. You're Bill Gates' daughter. Wow. You must be a pretty amazing person. Immediate, correct? And you have these connections, you have money, whatever, right? Get the best education in the world. And at the bottom, did some research on the Hindu caste system and the Dalits. I believe I'm saying that correct, but previously known as untouchables back when I was in school. And these people are thought to be born into. Being cast out of society and brutally attacked, beaten because they thought they think that these people were very evil in past lives, and then they're just treated awful their entire life. They're, I put a couple studies in there of people getting beaten and murdered as well. So that's let's just say that's the worst ticket somewhere along there. So the idea is that you have an equal chance of getting all of these different tickets, and there's there's a 17 percent chance that if you're born with access to education or healthcare and healthcare, there's an 83% chance you don't. So if you're somebody, now there's some people in the 83% who have done incredible things, by the way. I don't think it actually limits, limits you, but in statistically, there's less likelihood because you're worried about sometimes where your next meal is coming from. You're worried about whatever, right? Whatever Maslow hierarchy of need that you don't have, you're there. That's all you can think about because that's how your brain works, right? but if you're in the 17% you probably have those needs met and so you can self actualize and you can do whatever the heck you want. You can follow whatever purpose you want. And uh, the idea is that if you have talent in whatever area, you ought to go help people with it. Period. That's it. Because I just think that a lot of people with talent, they don't go we need we actually need you to go help people because there's a huge percentage of people struggling no matter what your thoughts are on all these different conflicts in the world, right? And to not go do something, to fall into the consumerism mentality of, I need to do whatever it takes to be the wealthiest person I can be so I can have the best life for myself, I think it's missing the whole point. I think it's why there's a lot of unhappiness in the world and why like depression, anxiety, and all these things start shooting through the roof is, again, the me monster comes into action. We start overthinking, we start getting our own way because we worry about ourselves more than we worry about others. I'm not saying that you go absolutely destroy yourself every second of every day and you never have a little break or you never have, I'm going to go play pickleball or myself soccer, right? It's like, you can have things like that, but the ultimate purpose of why you're doing what you're doing ought to be in that direction and how you use your resources should go that direction, no matter who you are. So we need you to use your resources, your talents to go make a difference in other people's lives. And that can be, a, a, again, a number of different ways. It could be starting an amazing business that just makes the lives of everyone better. It could be singing amazing music that is heartfold and changes people's minds. I don't know, whatever. You get the idea.
0: I completely agree. And I feel like everybody has something to give. And that's the whole point of this podcast. Everybody is a unicorn. You have a hidden talent. So learn it, master it, and and pay it forward. Everybody has something to give to the community, whether they believe it or not. They just It takes some time to really just hone in and believe in yourself. And this is a good segue to my last question for you, which is creating unicorns. So if you were to give someone advice who is starting their journey, or they're listening to this, and they think, I may not have a talent that I want to share, I may not be that, be a unicorn, be not be as good as to be able to open a business
1: or to be able to write a book, what are some advice that you would give them to at least get started? couple things. First off, I think people paint themselves to be way less important than they are. So I'm going to explain this thing called the butterfly effect. And the second thing is I think we don't educate ourselves enough to find problems that we're passionate about enough to solve. So there's two things. So the first thing is butterfly effect here. If you don't feel like you're important, you probably buy into a concept you may or may not have ever heard of called nihilism. Nihilism is this idea that what you do does not matter, has no material effect on things in the world. So if you decide to go do whatever, then it's really not that big of a deal. The thing is, if everyone thinks that, then nothing gets done, and no one, the world just becomes, everyone believes that, right? So we can see the logical conclusion is that no one helps anyone, and no one cares, and everyone's doing things out of selfish pursuit. So that's nihilism. If you don't believe that, but you're living that way, I think you're being deceived, and you ought to step out of that and, and start buying into this thing called the butterfly effect. So the butterfly effect is this idea and I'll just give you the general, and I'll give you a story from my book. This is a lot of these concepts from my book. So, basically, this idea: there's a, a little butterfly flutters its wings somewhere in Asia, and it moves some air currents that creates some clouds over the Himalayan mountains. And those clouds begin getting gathering water, and they torrentially downpour in the Swiss Alps, and then they go over the Atlantic Ocean and turn into a hurricane that hits the coast of Florida. And all those little butterflies are really small, but they start that little current when you add it all together, right? And it makes that little ripple effect, right? So that's the idea. There's this guy in my book, there's a couple stories that I want to go with, but I'll just use this one for example. Have you ever ever heard of Edward Kimball? Mm, No. Neither has anybody else probably, (laughs) but he was like in the 1800s, this small town pastor, and he used to walk past a little shoe store on the way to his church, where he his work every morning. And he would often see a shoe salesman in there. And one day he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to talk to this guy, encourage him, invite him to come hang out at church or whatever. And uh, goes in there and invites the guy. And the guy says, oh, sure, I'll come. And then he he goes in and becomes a Christian, whatever. And then he goes and that same shoe person, salesman becomes an evangelist. And he starts preaching and doing all these things. Ends up bumping into and evangelizing this guy named Eli Moody, which I believe is the Bible college, Moody Bible college, you ever heard of that? And then he ends up meeting a guy who's off the top of my head, cannot recall his name, but he was an English preacher. So he goes to England, preaches the English preacher, comes evangelized, comes back to the U.S. and he evangelizes another guy. And this fifth or sixth down the line, person down the line, right? This person goes and does a little small group and meets this guy named Billy Graham when he's 17. And you've heard of, heard of Billy Graham before? Billy Graham's just one international famous preacher. He was more famous 10 years ago. But basically, he, he had gone over and spoken in front of millions and millions of people. And the idea is, okay, if you trace back all the little events that happened to, for that person to be maybe speaking right there where Billy Graham was... Do you think the guy who spoke in front of Billy Graham, or do you go back six generations and thank Edward Kimball for swerving into that shoe salesman's path and talking to him?
0: It was all connected.
1: It's all connected, right? Same thing with George Washington. George Washington had an older brother, uh, Lawrence Washington, who had a good father that raised him because his father died when he was young. And you could go back even a couple more generations and you could go into all of those different things, how people treat people or whatever, and, you know, led to him turning down a kingship and, a democracy to happen for example right so you can do that all the time so you do have impact the small the seemingly small and insignificant things that you are doing all the time you never know how one word of kindness can help somebody make really great decisions and impact lots of people even if you never talk to them ever again and i think that's where our awareness right we don't know the impact we're having the me monster wins when you think that just because you don't know good things are happening like you're not being told you're not in the feedback loop of praise that you're not making the world a better place. So I think that's where I would start. (laughs) And then number two here is research. Find things that you care about. You'll probably find things that break your heart. If it breaks your heart, you should go change those with your talents and skills. It breaks my heart that most people don't like what they do. They feel limited. They feel like they can't go do what they love and they feel like they are worthless. That all breaks my heart. And I want people to feel like they can do whatever they put their mind to. And my whole concept of, the knowledge gap company and why it's called the knowledge gap company is you can do anything you'd like to do. You just don't know how to yet. And that's called a knowledge gap. And so that's what we help people that we bridge the knowledge gap.
0: And <laughs> I full circle with the name. Yep. I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and podcast mic drop. There we go.
0: <laughs> no, it's amazing. I think those two are good, really good pieces of advice. Thank you so much, Joseph. Now, for my last question, I guess should say, if somebody wants to get to know, get to talk to you, wants to work with you, how can they do,
1: or buy your book? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So going to promote like one, one thing to learn all of this information. So which, if you want to talk to me just in general, you can go to my website, joeigness.com. There's a call now that goes directly to my phone number. You can click that. There's an email, all that stuff's right on there, joeigness.com. On com, at the top, there's the thing that says my book. You can click that and click The Problem with Potential, which is this book right here in front of me right here. Look at that bad boy right there. Pretty nice cover. That's designed by this really awesome person named Mike Trent. He's amazing. And you can literally click that and click buy, and it'll take you right to Amazon where you can order it. You could also just type in The Problem with Potential on Amazon, type in my name, Joe Ignis, and uh, it should pop up. I believe the links will probably be in the description. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. That's how we do it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And for a reminder for the audience, if you actually go to my website at regozadaskconsulting.com, hit the Unicorn Wall of Fame, you'll actually see Joe on there along amongst all the other unicorns that I've interviewed. All the links will be there and they're also going to be in the show notes. And other friendly reminders, episodes come out every Friday at 7 a.m. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Thank you so much, Joe. This has been an amazing conversation. Any last words before we close up?
1: Thanks for having me. And if you're listening and want to make some big things happen, I hope I can help you in any way. Always open to a conversation.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And everyone, until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. I truly appreciate you listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite platform. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep growing. Until next time, this is Dr. Jaime G. Ragoza signing off.